Hey everybody, Nathan King here from the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Want to take a second and tell you guys about one of our new sponsors, Homefield Apparel. Extremely excited to be working with them this football season and partnered with them. You've probably seen them blown up all over social media, everybody talking about them. What is Homefield Apparel though? It's a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis that designs incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield digs through the archives and history of your school to find unique logos, math thoughts, and moments to make thoughtful designs for your school. And one of, talking about your school, One of their most popular collections is the Auburn collection. They've got 17 pieces in total right now, including a brand new Auburn t-shirt and sweatshirt that launched over the weekend on October 9th, honoring the 1957 Auburn National Championship team. It was found by a postcard design way back when from 1957 of Aubie holding up that 1957 Associated Press National Championship trophy. So super cool design. Be sure to go check it out. I love how comfortable their stuff is. My favorite is probably the Aubie crew neck sweatshirt of him pulling down the basketball nets. Um, They've got Auburn football and basketball stuff over there. That one's probably my favorite. Super comfortable to wear just loafing around the house or to wear outside. You can dress it up. Super nice design there. Be sure to go check them out, guys, homefieldapparel.com. We've got a promo code for you to get 15% off your first purchase using the code Auburn Undercover. That's all one word, all caps, Auburn Undercover at checkout at homefieldapparel.com. Welcome back, everybody. Another edition here of the Auburn Undercover Podcast on the 24-7 Sports Network. My name is Nathan King, joined by a special guest today. You know him, Brandon Marcello, national college football reporter for 24-7 Sports and obviously former Auburn Undercover reporter. So, Brandon, of course, it's always good to have you back here at your old stomping grounds. Wanted to um, take some time during the Auburn's bye week to talk a little bit about the state of the SEC and look around the conference. Um, And the two biggest things right now as it pertains to coaches, obviously, the situations at LSU and what surfaced this week at Tennessee. So, Brandon, first we'll get into LSU. Just kind of, I know you've been keeping your finger on that pulse. What's the latest? Um, I know that, you know, it's going to take probably until the offseason, similar to USC, or at least another month or so before things really start get, getting rolling with that coaching search. Um, but who are the candidates that LSU likes the most? And kind of what are you hearing from the ground of that, uh, of that coaching search right now? Yeah, you know, it's very early goings, but they've they're trying to aim high. Um, you know, James Franklin's a name that's been catching a lot of a lot of uh, uh, steam so far, and um, you know, <clears throat> and of course, uh, even Chris Peterson, who's retired, retired quote quote unquote uh, after his uh, successful stints at Boise State and Washington. The interesting thing is with Chris Peterson, I'm, I'm talking to a friend of his. I guess this summer, yeah, this summer, one spring, maybe spring. Anyway, I was talking to him. I was like, "Do you really believe he's retired?" He's like, "I, I think he's retired. I don't know if anything would really get him out, but we'll see." Um, you know, LSU's AD Scott Woodward. I mean, I think everybody's seen this. It's been reported quite a bit. He likes to go after the big fish. He's had success doing that previously at Texas A&M. He hired Jimbo Fisher away from Florida State when he was at Washington. He was an assistant AD, but was heavily involved in getting Chris Peterson to come to Washington after you know being at Boise State and seemingly not wanting to move anywhere. Does that mean they're going to get a "Quote unquote big name for LSU." I, I'm not so certain, just because I'm I don't know if that's the way to go at LSU right now. Um, having said that, I don't think there's really a kind of clear favorite 
at this time, I guess. I think that the big names, the names that you're even going to see in the USC job, those names are going to come up at LSU. Um, but, I mean, to me, from talking to people, and the best fit is Billy Napier, who's the coach at Louisiana, um, the Raging Cajuns. Whether LSU actually gives him a serious sniff, I, I, I'm not so certain. But um, just personally, I think we get kind of we get caught up in every coaching search. You know, Auburn just went through it here for the last calendar year. We get caught up in this like big name thing. What's going to be a splashy hire? And we rarely look for like best fit. The best fit seems to be like the number two on the list rather than number one. And um, you know, that's why. There's some jobs out there like, you know, for example, Sam Pittman getting hired at Arkansas. That was something like everybody's like, who? I mean, even I, I'm like, I, I have no idea. That name sounds familiar. Oh, he's an offensive line coach. Um, but we'll see. David Aranda, I think, is a name that's going to really uh, <clears throat> come up here in the next couple of weeks, too. I think his name's probably already out there. Obviously, former uh, coordinator at LSU was – part of that national championship team. That's why you got that job at Baylor, and they're doing a fantastic job there in year two. Um, a lot of that has to do with Jeff Grimes, her offensive coordinator who came from BYU and Auburn fans are familiar with from his time at Auburn as an offensive line coach, but a fantastic coordinator and has really turned that Baylor offense around. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. But, um, uh, you know, L every – SEC job nowadays and administration, there's so many people pulling at threads that there's always some craziness behind the scenes. So I think anybody trying to, I guess, predict what's going to happen with the coaching search now, it's just like fool's gold. It really is. And I know all these names get pushed around, especially early. Like, here are some candidates. And, you know, and I do it too. And I talk to people and do as best you can as reporting. But at some point, you know, there's a cynical part of me. I just sit here and I go, oh, it's those names again. It's the same one over and over again. Who's pushing that? Why are they saying those names? Why are they telling me those names? So, um, you know, just be careful what you read out there, I guess. Yeah, we Auburn fans learned that firsthand with the their coaching search because Brian Harson wasn't a name that was – Yeah, came out of left field, Super man. popular, yeah, until the end of it. Um how much better is the LSU job, do you think, than USC and why? I think it's a lot better. And uh, I said that earlier this week, and USC fans jumped on me, of course, which I should. But listen, look at the track record. LSU has won two national titles almost in spite of itself, or not in spite of itself, almost in spite of its coaches. Um, Les Miles, not the greatest coach to in the world. Ed Ordron, definitely not the greatest coach in the world, but they got so much talent there. That's just a matter of when you're going to be competitive and be able to be in a playoff race at some point. Um, and I, I shudder to think like what we're seeing with Nick Saban in Alabama right now, would it just be the same thing, but at LSU, if he had stayed, I, I think so. Cause they've got the resources to do it. And uh, I think, but that shows you, Two things. One, how great of a coach, obviously, Nick Saban is uh, and recruiter. But also, number two, you could find a happy medium there where you're not getting a Nick Saban, but maybe someone half or three quarters good. 
And I'm not so certain that LSU has found that since Saban left uh, for the for the Miami Dolphins and then finally Alabama. So um, USC, you get an adequate coach in there and they suck. <laughs> no other way to put it. They just suck. I mean, we've seen it now. I mean, it's just amazing how bad they look. And uh, Pete Carroll is an amazing coach. Um, everybody talks about Bill Belichick and all that stuff in the NFL. But Pete Carroll, as far as a college slash NFL coach, is he not the best ever? I mean, a guy who did it on both levels, really. Um, not saying he's better than Saban overall as a coach, but he translates no matter the level of football. You don't see that anymore. Uh, and so I think people at USC get lost in that. They just go, oh, we just get a guy here we can win. Well, if that's the case, why haven't you won since Pete Carroll left? It's because of the coaching. Also, it's because you're losing out on the big-time recruits now. You're not getting the type of kids you used to get on a routine basis. At LSU, you just step outside your door and you will fall on a four- or five-star recruit. I mean, USC, you could do that, but it's a gigantic area and there's like 20 schools right there, just right there. They're not outside the state having to come in and everything. So um, I think LSU by far is the best job on the market and will be this entire silly season, unless, you know, Nick Saban just goes, I'm retiring, you know, all of a sudden, which isn't going to happen. Yeah. I think, you know, I don't know if there are many, so it's LSU's last three coaches, right? Saban, Les Miles, and now Ed Orgeron that have won national championships there. And like you said, other than Saban, they're not going to blow your socks off. So definitely an advantageous situation, like you talked about with recruiting. But another job where a coach has done pretty well in his first season, talking about Josh Heupel there at Tennessee. Um, but all of a sudden, between the Ole Miss loss and what happened at the end of that game into what's happening this week with Jeremy Pruitt, not been a very fun week um, for the Vols. Just kind of fill us in on what's going on with Jeremy Pruitt and his lawyer and possibly going to court and, uh, and how messy that situation could get. I mean, I think a colleague of mine, I can't remember who tweeted it, but it's exactly right, is like, this is why coaches get large buyouts and payouts. It's to keep them quiet in case there was anything bad going on in that program. Because the last thing you want to do is a, have a pissed off uh, former head coach who really has nothing to lose at this point, because that's the best job he's ever going to have um, at Tennessee. And um, I think to a lesser extent, you could even say that about Nick Rolovich at Washington State, which a much different situation, and he wasn't there that all that long, only eleven games. But that Pruitt thing, I mean, goodness gracious, you're you're, I mean, they're already, as we know, under the NCAA cloud uh, because of Pruitt, or allegedly because of Pruitt. Um, you know, nothing's been, I guess, proven, so to speak. But um, if he's just he's just coming out firing now, the thing that you know, listen, if someone tells you they're not bluffing then they're bluffing. And that's what the lawyer, his lawyer did in their statement. said, well, we're not, this is all serious. We're not, we're not coming to the table with nothing. So that makes me wonder. Uh, but um, the worst thing that could happen with this is that it uh, goes to court or um, Jeremy Pruitt and his lawyer starts t- talking publicly I don't know if they're going to talk publicly. They want this. To, they they want to put these threats out there, and so they don't go to court, and then they get whatever they want. I think that's what's probably going to end up happening. But 
Tennessee is like a, um, you know, if someone was doing a textbook on uh, ways to uh, stub your toe every single day and, you know, break every bone in your body, that's Tennessee, man. They, I, I feel, I, I don't know. I feel terrible for their fans that have to go through this crap. Every, it's just every two months, it seems like it's just something new, whether it's something on the field, off the field, some stupid decision by a coach or an administrator, or something's happening with a player or a bunch of players entering the transfer portal and going to OU or, or to Alabama. And then you got this going on and um, it's not really the fault of the fans, but then, uh, you know, this past week, the fans uh, end up, making a bad name for themselves by throwing trash on the field, which was terrible and a dumb thing to do. But um, there's a reason for it twofold. They've had 15 years of just being crapped on and they're frustrated and they're in a tight game with a top 15 team. And the referees had blown, I think at least one call earlier in the game. Um, but then that fourth down call, Listen, the refs got that right, but it was like the, the dam broke. They just had enough. And uh, not excusing that behavior, they should ban anybody who was throwing the, that trash out there. You're, you're, you could hurt someone easily doing that stuff. Trust me, I've been hit by a water bottle uh, at a uh, high school game, um, which was an accident, by the way. It wasn't someone throwing it at me on purpose. Uh, <laughs> it's a long time ago. But, um, you know, listen um, – Tennessee just has to get out of its own way, which is crazy because Tennessee should be what it, Tennessee should be what Texas A&M is right now. They should be a program that at this point, you know, if they did things right 15 years ago till now, we're talking about them like renovating and doing things to that state at Neyland. That's not happening. They just obviously open, opened up a athletics facility not that long ago, but We'd be talking about how they're just throwing all kinds of money at things because they're they're competing on a consistent level and they feel like they want a championship, and that's not happening there because they just make like it just it's death by a thousand paper cuts, man. They just do little things uh, incorrectly and it builds up and then it just the damn damn you know breaks every now and again. And uh, I, I I don't I don't know. I, I it, the the other thing is it's like you almost feel like that. Josh Heupel is like a stopgap coach for them. It's like he came, you come in, make it exciting with the offense and everything, and then you're going to be here three or four years and we're going to go get a bigger coach. Uh, and that's how some fans uh, that I've talked to and people close to that program have kind of labeled that higher. I'm like, why? why? That doesn't make any sense. And again, that's them stubbing their toes all the time. Even the fans have that that mindset of, well, all right, so what we're doing is this guy's going to be here three years and then we're going to get a better coach. You can't think that way. You'll never – no no fan base thinks that way. Um, but as many bad things have happened to you there, it, it kind of – it probably changes your your outlook and your perspective on things and the way you should do it. I, I don't know, man. Yeah, and then it's like every th- – like you said, every time something good happens, like they were having a pretty good start to the season. Obviously, we're surprising yeah. people with their record and the way they were playing. Yeah, and then you run into you know losing to a top fifteen Ole Miss team, no problem. Like that, it happens. It's a good team. Um, but then obviously the way it happened, and then what happened with Pruitt, yeah, can't definitely can't get out of their own way. Um, yeah, 
Brandon, you were you got to see Auburn play in person at the Arkansas game. Um, and that was your first impression of Brian Harson, right? That was the first time you'd seen that team in person. Um, yeah. Kind of what were your impressions of that team? And, you know, you covered Gus Malzahn for so long and um, definitely a different looking offense yeah. now. Just um, you wrote a pretty good story after seems, the game. It seems seems more competent. <laughs> I love I, Gus. I'm I friends think, with Gus now. Yes. But yes. It, it's 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 more competent. You, it's there, there's there's a. Uh, there's rhyme and reason, not yeah. just reason without yeah. the rhyme. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, you you had a story, I thought, that that uh, summarized that game pretty well and that um, that final drive for Auburn was kind of everything you want out of that offense. If you're Brian Harson, you want Bo Nix to be crisp and efficient. You want him to use his legs. You want the running game to be clicking. Um, and you want to put away a team like that on the road in a ranked game. Um, just, I guess, just kind of the floor is yours talking about Brian Harson and what you saw from that team on Saturday. Well, the, the first thing to me was I love how they reacted because Arkansas had taken over the game there in the middle eights, middle eight of the game, where, which, you know, Bill Belichick always harps on. It's the last four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second half. Those are the most important minutes uh, of a game. And Arkansas won that space 14 nothing, and then took the lead. And you, the momentum had completely swung to Arkansas. And Arkansas was a team that was coming off two just absolutely draining games. They lost on the road and got pounded by Georgia in a physical game. And then they had to go on the road to Ole Miss that very next week in a game that was, what, what was it, in the 50s, I think? It was like 52 to 50, or I don't even remember what the score was. And they were worn out. They had a bunch of injuries on defense. And they still managed to lead Auburn. And I'm sitting there thinking – wow, maybe this Arkansas team is, you know, as good as maybe we were thinking. Maybe they are a top 10 team, even with these injuries they're dealing with. They're somehow overcoming them. Because that was a game where you knew they weren't going to score 30 like they're accustomed to at Arkansas now with their offense. But Auburn, like, it's like as soon as that happened, something clicked. The defense got that big play, of course, with, with the strip sack in the end zone. And then how about Auburn's defense stopping Arkansas – on fourth and one, and then Harson just saying, all right, let's go deep. I know we're on the road, but screw it. Let's go deep. And he even said after the game, I don't usually call a play like that in that situation, which is was baffling to me and probably others because usually when you get a big play on defense, you want to take a shot. See, that was interesting to me because when you look at what he did at Boise, he actually did do that a lot. Yeah. So I think it was kind of the reverse, the reverse psychology there. Yeah, that or – you know, that's his way of saying, I'm not sure we're there yet to be able to do something like that. I think that's and, it. Mm -hmm. And yet they they are. They were in that game. I mean, it just came together. And listen, I think Brian Harson's an incredibly smart guy when it comes to game day management of a team, not just the offense, but game day management of a team. And watching that in person, the way that game was unfolding, they made just like the right tweaks and adjustments. You know, I was sitting there thinking, like I came to that game thinking, Arkansas's got to get the ball, or Auburn's got to get the ball to Tank Bigsby 20, 25 times. And they didn't necessarily have to do that because Bo Nix was getting great pass protection, was throwing on, on the money. His receivers were actually catching the ball instead of dropping them. And um, stick with what's working, man. I know that you don't want to be one-dimensional, but throw it around a little bit if you have to. And uh, – but they were setting things up throughout that game. And, you know, Bo Nix, I think, said this, and so did Coach Harson. You know, that 71-yard touchdown pass we were just talking about, 
they were setting that up earlier in the game. They knew that that was potentially going to be open and they called it at the right time. And, you know, listen, that, that final drive was just a thing of beauty. I think that's the time I, you know, Harson wouldn't really say it, but I'm sure in his mind, his mind was just like at ease, like the serotonin was just taking over. He's just like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. I love this. This is what I've been waiting to see since I took this job. We're marching down the field. We can run it. We can throw it. Bo Nix is making the right decisions. Bo Nix is tucking the ball and running it, but not too early. He's sitting there being patient, reading things, and then running when he sees an actual opening instead of just taking off. Um, it, it was great. It was fantastic. But couple that with Arkansas was without their starting safety, without a starting corner. They were worn out. Um, and I know that from talking to some of the coaches, because uh, I live in Fayetteville, I talk to those coaches every now and again, they were telling me they're just beat up. But they were, they were shocked by how well Auburn's offensive line played against them in pass protection. They weren't expecting them to be so good, and they were so good at the tackle spots um, that, you know, uh, I think Auburn was going to win that game no matter what um, because – Arkansas was going to wear down and Auburn was just clicking on offense the way it really hasn't all season. I know it's not a lot of points, but that was efficient and it was a great performance. And, you know, if I'm an Auburn fan, I'd be sitting there going, this team could, you know, probably win nine games, you know, and don't strike. Listen, don't strike off. And I know Auburn fans aren't, but don't strike off the iron ball. It's in Jordan Hare, and Alabama's defense ain't what it, we're accustomed to seeing. And that offense, I'm telling you, Alabama, uh, their tackle. Texas A&M uh, exposed some things there that night. And Alabama's having some issues at linebacker right now with eye discipline. And um, that could be an interesting game when we get to that point, if Auburn stays healthy. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, that was going to be my next topic um, to kind of close us out on. Um, it's funny. As soon as Alabama lost, people going into the Georgia, because that was going into the Georgia game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or no, that, that was the night of the Georgia game. So going into this next game, talking about the mindset of Auburn. Okay, now that the SEC West is wide open. That was that was what people were saying, right? Which was funny to me, considering it didn't nothing changed. If you still beat Alabama and you win out, you're still going to win the wet, like N- Alabama losing. Now they have one loss, nothing changed, but what I you can't, right. You can't change that. But people of course like to talk about Alabama being vulnerable now because of that loss. Um, just how interesting is this race in the West going to be 
down the stretch. Cause at least for me, this game with Auburn coming out of a bye week at home against Ole Miss, that is a huge game to me, not only for Auburn to get a win heading into, they got Mississippi state and South Carolina, which they should, they should definitely win those games. Um, Not only for them to get a win, like you said, get close to like nine wins at Harson's first season, which would be huge. Um, But also to knock Ole Miss down a little bit and give themselves some, uh, some position in this race, just, um, what are you kind of looking for down the stretch here between teams like AM, Auburn and, uh, and Ole Miss kind of seem to be in that, in that second rung right behind Alabama. Yeah, those are the big games. I know in the SEC, you know, we're looking at it's Georgia and Bama and then kind of everybody else, but Bama has shown some vulnerability. And if a team near the end of the season can stay healthy and then keep improving, Bama might end up losing again. I, I don't know. I, I don't see it happening, though. I think Bama's revving up right now, and they're figuring everything out. They needed to get kicked in the rear end at A&M because I don't think the players were exactly on the level Saban was wanting them, and Saban was even, had been saying that. And, you know, as reporters and fans, people were just sitting back hearing, hearing it, and it just goes one, out one ear and, you know, in one ear, out the other because we're like, we hear him say this, and they're, they go 12-0 and 0 anyway. Well, I, he was, those concerns he was mentioning were legitimate. And I think that woke woke up those players. So for Auburn, you, you mentioned it. A and M and Ole Miss, man. Though A and M, Auburn, and Ole Miss, those three teams are battling out for the number two spot. And listen, if Auburn beats Ole Miss and A and M, not only does it set up a huge iron bolt, but it gives Auburn the confidence of going. You know what? Maybe we can do this. If they would even just lose one of those games. If you're an Auburn fan, and probably as as a player there, you're thinking, "Oh man, I, I don't know if we can even battle it out for the number two spot right now." Because, you know, listen, uh, Ole Miss is the type of team that they they might get up big on you, but you you can't completely lose out hope on that because their defense is just it's still bad. You know, we saw we've seen it all all. Season most of the season, Tennessee, Arkansas, they both get down and they come back. Uh, um, and the thing is, Ole Miss has not had a issue yet of a game where they're dealing with turnovers. Their first real taste of it was Tennessee when Matt Corral threw his first interception of the year, which is crazy to think. Um, so listen, I I like Auburn's position right now. Um, I wonder how much A and M can keep this together because. Listen, what we saw in the first half of the season with A&M is not fake. I mean, they struggled against a bad Colorado team. Um, they were dominated by an Arkansas team that's better than them overall. But now because they beat Alabama, we're sitting there going, oh, maybe A&M's the second best team. I'm not so certain about that. I think it's between Ole Miss and Auburn right now for that number two spot. And uh, so, well, you know, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm – but those are going to be the most interesting games in the SEC the rest of the way. It's going to be among those teams that are fighting for second in the respective divisions. It's not going to be – I mean, because, listen, Alabama and Georgia, Alabama's tough, toughest game remaining is Auburn. The others, they'll, they'll kill. Georgia's toughest game remaining is Florida, and they should kill Florida. But Dan Mullen, you can't predict what he's going to do week to week. And I think, I think out of any team – that Georgia plays this season, other than maybe Alabama, Florida will score the most points against Georgia this season and probably still lose. But uh, uh, those are going to be the games that are going to be fun to watch. So 
I guess I'm just rambling here. Everybody's going to be saying, well, what's, what's Georgia and what's Alabama doing week to week? No, those are not, that's not what's really interesting right now. What's really interesting is what's going on with Ole Miss, A&M, Auburn, Kentucky, Florida, those type of teams. Yeah, and Auburn's got both those games left. They host Ole Miss, and then they've got that it's huge immediately after. They're back-to-back. They host Ole Miss, and they go to Texas A&M. And it's not just huge for this season. It's huge for the future of the program because, listen, we all know A&M's just kind of perched there waiting to grab hold of the number two spot in the SEC West because LSU's going through what it's going through, and Auburn's just changed coaches, and Auburn hasn't been what it's we're accustomed to seeing the last like two, three years. So. This is very crucial. If Harsa yep. can do this in year one, that sets up well because, as you know, re- recruiting has got to improve, and this would help out tremendously. And also, uh, I just think with the perspective of uh, uh, of fan bases across the conference. Yeah, you're right. At least on paper, it seems yeah. like Texas A&M's in that spot. That's a good point. Talking about LSU's coaching change, Auburn's coaching change. They've been waiting to try to take their position as that number two team above everybody else because Ole Miss – Good, but also sporadic. You wonder how much they can, you know, keep it yeah. up there, and we'll see what happens especially, with Kiffin. Yeah, especially next. Yeah, <laughs> especially next year. I mean, they're going to be losing something, and yeah, we'll see what happens with Kiffin. Does does he want to stay at Ole Miss? Does yeah. does he, someone else start tugging at him? Could LSU tug at him? I I don't know. Could he go back to USC? Just kidding. <laughs> hey, That's probably the I, most entertaining outcome. I looked up this stat. Uh, you know, listen, that was a messy divorce. But couples who get back together after being divorced, they mostly work out statistically. So they hey. mostly win national championships. So, <laughs> so do they it. They win the Pac-12. Um, and I'm be- I'm serious though. If I was USC, I would think about bringing Kiffin. Yeah, in. I you would. At least give it. There were a lot of people here that, and you know, we we had reported Kiffin was interested in the Auburn job, but mm-hmm. yeah, you know, there were a lot of people here that wanted that, just because if you do that, no matter who you are you embrace that you are just going to be a chaotic, sporadic, but dang fun program because that's exactly what Ole Miss is right now. And for, for Auburn, you know, I don't think it, you know, I think Harson was a good hire, but you know, that's just kind of Auburn's identity. That's some team's identity. You're never going to do it on an incredibly consistent national contending level. Um, But you are going to be freaking scary, you know, once every three years or something like that. And that's the best way to live. So, but I couldn't imagine someone, uh, with his type of personality coaching at Auburn. No. A football program. Yeah. No. Because he'd be like, listen, he'd be like Bruce Pearl in a certain extent. Uh, but it's basketball and Pearl is really just he's setting the foundation for this the this generation because no one no one remembers what this is like uh, rather than, you know, fans that were around in the mid eighties with Sonny. So uh, you know, he can do his own thing. He can set his own his own path. Football, no. There's a long line of expectations there and the type of coaches you bring in, Auburn men, all that stuff, the Auburn creed. Harson fits that, and uh, I think I mentioned that in the column. It's just, I mean, when you when you think of uh, someone who would have followed Pat Dye and others, and if I you showed just showed me a picture of Brian Harson, I go, yeah, he looks like an Auburn right, coach. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe just the way like he acts. <laughs> Not Lane Kiffin. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Lane Kiffin throwing a clipboard up in the air at Jordan Hare? Um, I oh, I don't know. There'd be there'd be some uh, some uh, some fans sitting there going, "We is this boy right?" Yeah, that's it, that, okay. That's such a good point because like I remember 
I mean, I wasn't even super plugged into Auburn, but even even Muschamp coming back as the DC in 2015, I remember my friends going to a game and then coming back, talking about how they didn't like how he was treating players on the sideline because he was yeah. like yelling and aggressive. And yeah. so, yeah, they're very they're very touchy feely about you know the kind of types of coaches that they have. Yeah, but you know, listen, um, you win, and that, that's all that matters. And right. uh, you know. You know, listen, you just never know. I mean, look at, I mean, LSU wanted Tom Herman five years ago. He went to Texas and he, he failed and he got fired. Um, you just don't know. You really don't know anymore. That's why going after big names, it's not the hot name. It's not necessarily the right idea. You got to get the best fit. And at least with Auburn, I think they did get the, you know, it seems like the best fit for the culture and the type of coach you want there. Yeah. You know, we'll see if it works out, but you know, I, I like what I'm seeing right now. Yeah. It would make things more interesting. Like you're saying that every time there's a coach, I mean the, the USC hot boards and the, and the LSU mm. hot boards are pretty much are mostly identical, maybe yeah. save for local, you know, region guys and like, like Napier. And it's like, other than those two jobs, you know, programs having won national championships in the past, what do they have in common? Nothing. The, the They're two different cultures. They're obviously on <laughs> opposite sides of the country pr- almost. It's it's So why are you going after the same cut? Just because they're big names. That's just whatever. I, I don't get that. Like James Franklin, I think, would be successful anywhere, but I think he would fit best at USC. Um. Even though he's coaching the SEC and all that, I think he would fit best at USC. Um, you know, Chris Peterson, USC. I don't think he works in the in the SEC. I just I just don't um, in the long term. And that's the other thing. If you're LSU, why are you getting a coach who's already had two big gigs, has retired, and you're going to pull him out of retirement? That's why I laugh every time I see Bob Stoops' name. Number one, he's not going to coach again. Number two, you're going to bring him out of retirement and he's going to coach for three years maybe and say, I'm out, I'm sick of working all the time. I mean, that's that's just time passes us by, you know, and you just want to chill out. Bob Stoops wants to chill out, man. I think his brother probably has Mm. the sweetest gig in the SEC. Dude, yeah, I mean – They've got great facilities. It's a fantastic college town. And he is an Ohio guy with deep recruiting roots there. And he's right, Kentucky's right there. And he can go in and not get who he wants, but he can get like the second best guys behind Ohio State sometimes. They took a linebacker. I mean, there's a coaching change. They took a four star linebacker from Auburn. Oh, yeah. Mm, I can't, uh, so, can't remember his name. But. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, and, and uh, that's another name, like Mark Stoops. Like if Ohio State came open, could you imagine him taking that over? And for that matter, I mean, if Michigan made a, made a change, he would be the perfect hire. But they wouldn't do it; they just wouldn't. I'll, and I don't know if he'd take sense. the job because I mean, I don't know if he'd take it because he's at Kentucky now at a point. Yeah, he's not going to win a national championship. He's not going to win an SEC title, but he could win nine or ten games every three years potentially, and be worshipped they'll build and a be statue. worshipped there for the rest <laughs> yeah. of his life and have a statue have buildings named after him and retire a very rich and more importantly happy man with not a lot of stress in his life um because he's i mean he's a great coach he, he'd go to michigan and he would michigan would beat ohio state 
at some point. They would. I'm not sure that they can do that with Harbaugh. Yeah, we'll have to see. Is Michigan still undefeated? I haven't even. Yes. In fact, I am so – well, they play Northwestern this week. Oh, that's um, a loss. But, but here's the thing. Northwestern's bad, but Pat Fitzgerald, man, he owns Michigan at times. And uh, But I hope not personally, uh, uh, selfishly, because I'm going to East Lansing to cover Michigan, Michigan State next we week. And that's going to be the first top 10 matchup between those two schools, I think, in like 50 years. That's insane. Yeah. Which is insane considering how highly ranked they've been. They've just been right outside. But this could be the year, man. And, uh, and Michigan State's a lot of fun to watch. Their offense is – they've got weapons everywhere. Yeah, what about uh, what about Mel Tucker? And we'll, I know we're running up against the clock here. What about him for that LSU, LSU? We've seen him pop up a couple times. He he is this guy. I should have mentioned him too. Sounds like I don't know what I'm talking about, and I probably don't. But yeah, his name his his name has come up there uh, most definitely. Um, though, uh, from you know, I, I've never heard his name come up as far as a guy that might be in college football in like five years. Uh, some people kind of believe he might go back to the NFL. Uh, but I mean, listen, um, at this point, he's got Michigan State rolling. Maybe he sees that as an opportunity to say, you know what? I don't know if I go win national championship here, but I certainly could at LSU. Um, but, you know, Tucker's name could either get really hot here the next two, three weeks or cool down a lot. Because as fun as Michigan State's been able to, been to watch, they haven't played anybody at all. And they still have three top 10 teams remaining on the schedule. And uh, they could come back to earth pretty quick if uh, – if they show some weakness. Yeah, I think they present, in my opinion, uh, uh, Kenneth Walker as a Heisman candidate. I'm just, I, if Bryce Young wins the Heisman, it's going to be an extremely boring Heisman campaign. I just, his name keeps <laughs> popping up and he's great and he's done a good job, but just the Alabama quarterbacks year in and year out is just kind of boring. I'd like to see it. Yeah, somebody Bryce else Young. Yeah, I mean, Alabama would not have been in that game against A&M late if it wasn't for Bryce Young. Yeah, I mean, he's been good. He, he, yeah. he played incredibly well. That may have been – I think that was his best game he's played so far in Alabama uniform, even though they lost because they, they were getting to him. They were having some issues protecting him, and he still was making amazing plays. So, yeah. C.J. Stroud, though, watch out for him. I think he's going to end up probably winning it. He's really? got a great skit. Yeah, he's got a lot of big games coming up. Okay. That offense is clicking. Don't forget, they have the best receiver core in the country. We've seemed to have forgotten that a little bit. And uh if he stay and he was not healthy when they lost against Oregon. He had shoulder issues. I don't think that gets talked about enough. He's healthy now and he's playing his tail off. And you know, I don't bet money, but I think he's got he's like eight to one odds or something like however that works. Like you bet a hundred bucks, you get eight, you win 800. If he mm -hmm. wins the Heisman, he's like, I, if I had money, number one and number two, if I didn't think it was ethically wrong for me to be betting on the sport I cover, I'd put money on him because that one, that's a big return on your money. And two, I, I think he's probably going to do it. If he wins out there, he's going to win the Heisman. Yeah. Part of me is terrified that all of this, parody we've had and kind of the chaos season part of me is really scared we're going to get down here at the bottom and it's just going to end up the teams get knocked off one by one the, the outsiders and it's just going to end up being oklahoma bama georgia yes. and ohio state something like that's that. that's what's going to happen i mean we, we were talking about that on our mid-season round table it's like 
this this the chaos is crazy and everything, but in the end, and we're seeing it already, those blue bloods we we're talking about the preseason, other than Clemson, they're gonna be in it in the end. And um that's just how it's gonna be. But the rest of it, not, but that that's here's the other thing. That's why we need a twelve team playoff. I don't know why people are so fighting against that so much. Like, well, they're not good enough anyway. Dude, you don't know until Never they know play. Until you give them a chance. You know? A&M is super average. And they would look like world beaters against Alabama. Yeah. They're super average, Texas A&M. They're not even great. They're super average this year. So expand the playoff. Do it. Yeah, that'll be fun. Here in a couple of years, we'll have some pretty fun conversations about that. Um Brandon, that was a fun conversation. Appreciate you coming on and joining us today um, to look around the SEC and ended up looking around nationally during Auburn's bye week. So thank you so much to Brandon for joining us. That'll do it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys liked it, please go leave us a five-star review wherever you guys get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get them. Um, The bumper music is always by Beats by Mordecai. You guys can find him on Twitter, SoundCloud, and Instagram. And until the next episode, you guys enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you all later. Bye.